Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a Q&A going over a few really interesting topics, uh, one being eating disorders. I am no therapist, so we're not going to dive too much into the weeds, but I'm going to discuss the difference between intuitive eating versus flexible dieting when it comes to somebody who has a past history of eating disorders. We're also going to jump into bulking and gaining weight the right way. We're going to jump into my experience working with my new coach um, and how I am approaching that with him. And we're going to dive into a few more random topics around training and nutrition I really think you're going to enjoy. Before we jump into the show, I want to talk about the Taylor Trainer real quick. I don't often talk about our own products because I really do just enjoy providing free value, but I keep getting questions about what is the Taylor Trainer. What is it all about and what are you getting inside? The main point of having the Taylor Trainer on your side is so you have a personal trainer in your pocket. It is literally spending less than a coffee a day. Yes, less than $2 a day to have a trainer in your pocket. It's me showing you what to do literally from a program design perspective a periodization perspective, an accountability perspective, and even a progression week-to-week perspective. And to add to that, you get video demonstrations of everything to do inside the gym. So once again, it is a way for you to have an app in your pocket with the exact program so you know exactly what to do every day when you get to the gym. And it progresses week-to-week, month-to-month, and even across the year if you choose one of the longer-based programs. So if you're interested in Taylor Trainer, Hit the link in the description. You can head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash tailored-trainer or click the link in the description, which is a little bit easier. And you can check it out, see the video of me talking and showing a little bit more detail about what it is. Um, I think most of the listeners on this podcast will really benefit from having a service like this. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's jump into the episode. All right, guys, uh, another Q&A episode today. Um, got some good questions. Um, no chatter. No. Nope. Right into the right into the business. All right, let's start it off, man. All right, question one is from Kyra Claxton. Mm. It says when Im- implementing periodization in a fat loss phase, do your ma- maintenance calories change? If so, how should they be adjusted as, as pounds are lost? When in a fat loss phase, do you need to periodize your diet? When implementing periodization in a fat loss phase. Yeah. Do your maintenance calories change? Mm. If so, how should they be adjusted as pounds are lost? Yeah, so I think for for context for those who may not understand fully what she's talking about, I, I believe she's talking referring to her maintenance because oh, I just realized my phone was gone. Do you see that? Your phone? My phone. Oh, my phone. Mic. Um, I don't know where it went. Uh, so inside of dieting and periodization, we utilize – maintenance periods of time like diet breaks refeeds and stuff like that and it's basically a period of time where you bring your calories up to your maintenance so if you don't know what your maintenance calories is it's really hard to periodize things like refeeds diet breaks cycling calories um intermittent dieting which is not fasting but uh weekend deficit weekend maintenance so on and so forth going back and forth um 
so you need to know that. And actually, a really cool study just came out um, from Bill Campbell's lab. It was actually cool. He sent it to me uh, yesterday, I think. Like, it's like literally just came out. Um, oh, and it was like the first study they've done on two-day refeeds. So like there's been a lot of other studies that have made us believe that refeeds would be valuable if done back to back, like we talk about. But this was the first one that actually did it to where they had one group that was just dieting and one group that would diet for five days in a row and then two days at maintenance. Gotcha. At the end of the study, each group lost the same amount of fat. I would argue that the people that had the refeed, uh, two day refeeds probably had an easier time because that's mm-hmm. two days per week where you're not dieting. Yep. And they actually maintained more muscle mass throughout the process which is a big marker for metabolic health. If you can maintain muscle mass, you most likely can maintain some physiological health as well. Um, so really cool study that just came out. But the, the thing with dieting is that when metabolic adaptation occurs during a deficit, even if you do have refeeds in, majority of your time is still spent in a deficit. If you're successfully dieting, that's the point. Because if you had more uh, refeed days than deficit days, you wouldn't have enough deficit days to even lose fat. Hmm. You'd be at maintenance too often. And if you're at maintenance by nature, you're maintaining, right? That's not the goal. Deficit is to lose. So when you are dieting and you're in a deficit more times than not, your metabolism, your metabolic rate will slow down. This is the process of metabolic adaptation, which we've just beaten to a pulp on this yeah. podcast, hmm. um, especially lately. I feel like we've been talking about a lot, especially because I had that full podcast on it and stuff. But check out that podcast if you haven't. I'll link it in the show notes. But essentially, as we lower calories, we lower body weight, our metabolism slows down. Therefore, our maintenance calorie slows down. So during a diet, so if you're dieting for 12 weeks and you have a, let's say you're doing three back-to-back refeed days every other week, which is actually a system I really like. It's about 14 days in a deficit, three days refeeding. 14-day deficit, three-day refeeding. Well, if you do that for eight weeks and let's say you've had to, you have to finally drop your calories down to break through a plateau and you've lost five pounds already your maintenance calories probably will have to lower too. Yeah. So what you would do is if you drop 100, let's say you drop 25 grams carbs from your diet, you should probably drop 25 grams carbs off those maintenance days as well because those days are going to be too high if you keep them. Gotcha. And what happens if you keep them, a lot of times what people do will go into their diet breaks and it's still successful because they're eating technically at a surplus now because they're eating too much. Physiologically, they're going to feel good. It's going to refuel glycogen. It's going to do everything a refeed is supposed to do. However, you're probably going to gain a little bit more weight than you should during a diet break or refeed period, and it's probably going to linger around. So a lot of times when I see somebody refeed and they gain a couple pounds and it's gone like the next day or two, I'm like, oh, it's just water weight. Yeah. When it lingers for three, four, five days, I'm like, oh, we might need to lower those a little bit because that's a sign that your, your metabolism is probably slowing down with the dieting process. So you're saying they'll gain that weight that day or that week or – when you, uh, when they're in that surplus, almost always that day for okay. sure. Okay. You, even if you have your maintenance calories at a good point, because that's like, when you're saying if it lingers a couple of days, exactly. Yeah. That's when you're like, okay, I probably should have lowered them. But the easiest way to do it, like she said, is like, so do you lower your maintenance calories? Do maintenance calories lower as the deficit goes on? Yes, absolutely. And it's just a process of, that's just part of metabolic adaptation. Um, as you're, as you prolong a diet, you are getting essentially more and more stressed out and tired. Yeah. Your body is. And you are losing weight um, and you are taking in less energy. Those three things lead to less movement and function across the board. Gotcha. Uh, not as hard of performance in the gym. Even from a point of like, I know like when I'm like right now, because I'm like bulking, I have mm-hmm. plenty of food coming in. I'm like, I pace in between sets and I'm like, is it ready for my next set? Because I have energy and I'm ready to go. I never sit. I'm like walking. 
when I'm like dieting, I'm in between sets. I sit down and I'm like texting. I'm not moving much, but that's an extra thousand steps just in an hour workout of me pacing and yeah. moving. Right. So we don't notice things like that, but when we're dieting and our body has less energy, we will downregulate all those processes. So yes, maintenance calories do lower um, as you go through the deficit and you probably should adjust your, your diet breaks and refeeds as the diet goes on to make sure that you're, you're matching things up properly. Awesome. All right. Um, next is question is, I didn't filter these by the way. Sorry. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> let's get let's some long ch- ones. challenge my reading skills. Fit stud 98. Fit stud. What a, what a guy. Uh, when what have, a guy. <laughs> well, I'm assuming it's a guy. I, uh, what was the, what was the, what did I hate? Shouldn't assume in 2020. When people call me, what was it? Bud. Bud. Hey, bud. I don't know why that was. Dude, I, I used to get it. so mad. Yeah. Not like, I, I wouldn't actually get physically mad. I never yeah. get mad, but I'd be like, dude, stop calling me bud. Yeah. You always said that. I look at it like, like you're trying to father me. Hey, bud. Tiger, you almost got. What's up, sport? <laughs> Dude, sports the dad. <laughs> sports the dad. What's up, bud? Once Everybody's I, my bud. Once I told my, I know, and I have some good friends that call me, but I'm gonna laugh if he's listening. Austin Current says bud all the time. Yeah. He always texts me. He's like, "What's up, bud?" And like, part of me laughs because he doesn't know. Yeah. Now he might, but I don't care anymore because I'm just over it. But mm, years I, ago, <laughs> I did. So like, I remember us having this conversation in front of my dad. Yeah. And my dad wouldn't stop after that. He'd like hang out with me and be like, "Hey, how's it going, sport, tiger, bud?" And he would just keep going, <laughs> going, kiddo. And yeah. I'm just like, "Dude, oh my god!" When you get that uh, text message from one of us, you're just like, "Oh!" <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Fit stud. But stud is one of those like I think about like your dad. Oh, what's up, stud? Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. He never called me that, but. <laughs> uh, when having girl. a ba- when having a background of disordered eating, restrictive. Restored now and focusing on gaining muscle. Still advised to track macros? That's a question. Or an intuitive approach regarding the knowledge of food is there? That took a big yeah, turn. So <laughs> is it still advised to track macros? Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I, I was just saying it took a big turn because that's like very serious. Um, I think like this goes both ways. So this is a really, really good question. I think that you know with disordered eating and having a poor relationship with food – Tracking macros goes both ways. And I think that people need to understand there's no best way. Like it's individual because I've had clients who have had issues with eating and, and, and past relationships and, and poor relationships with dieting and stuff and flexible dieting and macros helps them because it gives them a budget so they can say like, no, I'm allowed to eat these Oreos, but I just fit it in. I'm, I'm staying healthy. So they don't demonize it and mm-hmm. they don't have like shame or guilt from eating it because it's not cheating. It's allowed. And then there's other people where the numbers aspect of tracking and having these numbers drives them crazy, creates more stress, creates more overwhelm. They end up binging. Then they, they feel like a failure and it's like completely opposite. So we get these two camps of like people arguing that flexible dieting cures eating disorders. And then others that say like macros are the devil. And I think it's, it's, it really depends on your personality For type sure. because yeah. in some sense, like intuitive eating is like the worst way to eat if you want a good relationship with food. And, and that's how I am personally. I, I do better with having control because on Saturday I have no guilt in drinking beer and eating lardy food and going out to Mexican and having a burrito or whatever it is. Because I just kind of account for it in my calories. It's not exact, but I fit it in my macros. I pull back a little bit the next day if I need to kind of the whole Rob Peter to pay Paul and I feel fine. Yeah. 
But if I'm intuitively eating, I'll eat more than my allotment calls for. I usually over fill myself up and just feel like bloated and lethargic. Yeah. And then I feel super shameful and guilty the next day for fucking up on my diet. And that's like a vicious cycle. And I remember intuitive eating before I got into macros and stuff years and years ago. And it would, it was just like a cycle Monday through Friday. I would just restrict myself Saturday. I would binge on a cheat day Sunday. I would say, fuck it. I'm just going to do it again and eat whatever I want. And then I'd feel bad by Monday. I'm going to get back on the grind, crush it through Friday, rinse and repeat. Yeah. It was just every week. So can you not see results with that? I mean, Monday through Friday seems like a pretty solid... I, I mean, I got lean. Yeah. But it was not a very good relationship with food. There we go. And especially because the the problem was is I was underperforming Monday through Friday because I was having to diet yeah. to make up for the weekend. Ah. So basically, I was lean, but I wasn't building any muscle because I was under eating during the week to account for what I ate on the weekend. So my training was shitty. I wasn't progressive overloading. And then I would binge on shitty food, feel horrible internally and like fit cycle psychologically. Um, and then I just kind of rinse and repeat and they, you'd go through this vicious cycle of, of really just overeating calories over and over again. So if I wanted to get really lean, I wouldn't be able to do it cause I was going out of control. Yeah. Now a, a controlled setting, like we just talked about with the new study where you're doing dieting for five days, refeeding for two days. That is the same thing in a sense, under eating, overeating, but it's in a structured manner where you can have the minimum amount of calories needed during the week to perform well. And then the, the minimum maximum kind of balance of enough to refuel, but not too much where you're overeating yeah. on the weekend, but without numbers like macros, you're not going to know what that is. Yeah. So, but again, macros aren't the answer for everybody. There's, yeah. it goes both ways. And, and, you know, there's certain people who are like, yeah, I get the whole flexible dieting thing, but I can't, I can't just have two Oreos. Yeah. Like I don't care about my numbers or not. Some people can. No. Um, Shannon does that shit all the time. I was like, I was getting up to get my protein ice cream there, and I was like, you want anything? She was like, I'll have two of those little pieces of chocolate. <laughs> I was like, two? They're like these little fucking like Hershey Kisses sized. Yeah. They're not, but they're like that small. And I was like, fuck. One time she said that, and I brought her like eight of them because I was like, you were joking, right? Yeah. She's like, no. And she'll just eat two, and she's good. Whoa. And I'm like, and it takes her like 30 minutes to eat them, and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, swallow it. That's good. <laughs> but yeah. so that doesn't work for me. But that's why macros work so well for me. I don't think it intuitive, most people. Intuitively, I'll eat the whole fucking bag. Yeah, Because <laughs> like, yeah. I'm hungry. Quote, yeah, quote. absolutely. But if I look at my macros, I can say like, oh, I can only have a quarter of that bag. But that's okay. That's enough, mm -hmm. and I'll eat it, and I'll be fine. Um, so I think it just it goes both ways. There's no answer to that. Like the reality is, if you have a serious eating disorder, you need to seek out a specialist, like a therapist. There, there are dietitians and. and therapists that do specially like they just specialize in uh food relationships uh ex-bodybuilders and stuff like that people who have eating disorders so go seek out one of those people if you're one of those but he mentioned gaining i believe right wasn't uh, it like uh um, that's his goal with a with having a background of disordered eating restricted and restored now and focus on gaining muscle so that's the problem with gaining muscle too is I think that somebody in your shoes might want to work on their relationship with counting macros because in a gaining setting, you need to at least be eating at maintenance. And a lot of times when people have an eating disorder background, intuitively they will undereat yeah. because they're always so worried about how much food they're taking in that they don't eat enough, period. So in my experience, I do like to use that better. But again, sometimes it doesn't work for people in and you might have to use a different strategy, but still plan and have a strategy by saying you are going to have X amount of meals every day. 
every meal has to have a fistful of protein, a fistful of carbs. Like you're making sure that you're not under eating and you set up kind of some kind of parameters to make sure you're doing that. But for a lot of people who are trying to gain, I think the most important thing to do is to actually track because then you know you're actually getting enough. I know a lot of people that don't eat enough carbs or protein in order to actually build muscle and they eat way too much fat. And it's just, that's just kind of how our like palatable food system is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. I don't think I can give you a for sure answer. I think you just have to like understand your personality type and see which one like vibes with you more and then go with that. Copy. Good answer. All right. So, um, we got one from Nick. O forty six. I have a question regarding nutrition <coughs> uh, for hy- hypertrophy. I was sitting on the mic. I have a really low body weight compared to calorie requirements. So if I take the maximum maximum border of fats, it is around sixty grams when calculating my with my body weight, but around a hundred grams when cal- calculating with calories. Should I take the border calculated with body weight to minimize fat storage? Because sixty five grams is a- above the max border calculated with body weight, but below twenty percent of calories. It's a really good question. Sixty-five uh, grams is above you know, the max. You know, what I was just thinking below of? the calories. I read this question, so I remember it completely. But like when I was putting that thing back on the mic and it was making that noise, are you ever at Starbucks and you just try to, you know what I'm gonna say? No. When you like pull your chair and it's like, and it's just so loud. It's like the floors at Starbucks are so bad. Huh. Every time I pull out my chair, I'm like looking around like this is awkward. Or like this, like, I, was, I was working and this kid did it. And he was like purposely like doing it. And his mom fucking lost it, dude. <sighs> she was like, Michael, enough of that shit. Like almost like, oh, that kid probably does that every time they're yeah. here. Because <laughs> he's just like screeching it across the floor. Uh, but that's annoying. Anyway, so this is a really good question because, you know, I think – there's, there's kind of these like rules written in the sand and I say written in the sand because they're not like hard written in stone for everybody. Right. And and they can be adjusted. But for example, he was saying, uh, that's below 20%. Typically I would not recommend fat being 20% or or, sorry, less than 20% of total calories. So if you're consuming 2000 calories, at least 20% of those calories needs to come from fat. That's going to support your hormone system. However, when you start pushing into a surplus, this completely changes because uh, if you're, let's say you're at maintenance and 20% of your uh, total calories is 50 grams of fat, that's all you need to be healthy. Great. Now you go into a surplus and you add a bunch of carbs and you crank your diet all the way up to 3000 calories. Does that mean you need to eat more and more and more fat when you, mm. you've been hitting the minimum amount needed? And the answer is no. That could be – honestly, it could even be like 10%. That's why I don't really like working off percentages. People always say like what's the best macro ratio? Is it a 40-40-20, 40-30-30? There is none. Yeah. Because a lot of my clients are on a 38-42. Like it's just like random. You know what I mean? Like some of my clients are 50-plus percent carbohydrates because they're in a surplus and they're eating a lot of carbs to build muscle. So I don't think there is an answer to this thing. It's very individual. I like to say people should be at least 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound of body weight. So, for example, I am taking 170, 165. I'm 173 today. This is the heaviest I've been in a while. Uh, 0.4, that's 69 grams of fat. 173 times 0.4. Three, 
is 51. So I need to be between 52 and 69, essentially, Um, which makes sense. I'm at 55 grams of fat, but I also eat a lot of carbs. So I think I like if you're – and here's the other thing to remember too. Part of hormonal health and physiological health in general is more so related to calories versus a single macronutrient. So you can have a, for example, you can have like a really high protein diet. Protein's great for muscle, but if you're in a calorie deficit, you're not going to build muscle. Same thing applies with hormones. You can have a high fat diet and that's great for your hormones, but if you're in a calorie deficit, you're in a calorie deficit. Yeah. You are going to be stressing out the body and the body's hormones are going to slowly downregulate testosterone, cortisol is going to increase, thyroid is going to decrease, so on and so forth. So I think if we're, we're considering from a physiological health perspective, I think number one, you need to focus on calories. So if you are at maintenance or a surplus, it almost doesn't matter. In fact, there's, uh, I've had people that have, um, not with me, but I've talked with people who will go super low fat. Like I'm talking 30 grams of fat a day, which is like, basically you're not adding any fat sources. It's all just fat from like your meat and your eggs or your oats and shit like yeah. that. Very unpleasurable diet, but they have a ton of carbs and they're in a surplus and they've done hormonal panels and they're completely healthy. The flexibility of that diet sucks because it's hard to fit foods in when you have very, very limited fats. So the adherence might not be good long-term, but their hormones are fine because they're not in a calorie deficit. For sure. Um, Are they completely optimal? Probably not. I like to err on the side of of going a little bit above that. Like I said, like 0.3 grams per pound is like the minimum I like to have. Um, And I'm just barely above that right now. Um, and Eric Trexler, who's programming for me when he first, and this is actually a question today, so we'll dive into this. Um, when he first programmed all my stuff out, it wasn't dramatically different. I was consuming 50 grams of fat. He bumped it to 55 carbs stayed the same protein stayed the same, like training barely tweaked. Like it wasn't a ton of changes because changes happen after things adapt and we adjust. Right. So adapt to the new program. Exactly. And and as he sees how my body is responding and stuff. And that's the same thing I always tell people on on the first call is like, Hey, this is our baseline. The magic is in the adjustments. As we go and start tweaking things, that's when we start learning about your body. We start learning how you respond. We learn what works best. We learn how to adjust and then results really happen. Um, doesn't mean we can't prescribe macros and things work. But if somebody comes to me, like I come to Eric and I'm like, Hey, here's my training program. He's like, Oh, that looks really good. Here's my diet. It looks really good. Here's my philosophy. Oh, we share the same philosophy. It's kind of like, what do, what do you want me to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm like, hey, I want you to take over the adjustments. I want you to take over like looking at my physique and saying, now you can still push weight. Like, don't worry about the fat. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And like push me to a point where I'm not getting in my own head about gaining fat in the process of building muscle because it's just required. In fact, Julian Smith had a really good post. We should link that in the show notes. He showed a picture. He, he bulked for six years and he was like 260 pounds and he, he's like really lean right now, like sustainably lean, not like shredded, shredded, but like six pack, everything like 190. So 260 damn heavy, 70 pounds, but he wasn't like obese, Yeah. but he, you could tell he had some fat on him, yeah. but he was big. Yeah. And he was like, I spent six years just trying to build as much muscle as possible. But because I put my body in a state where it wasn't stressed and deficit, I built a ton of muscle and he's a natural bodybuilder. A lot of people say, say he's lying that he's on steroids cause he's fucking jacked, Damn. but he's like, I spent six years in yeah. a surplus eating wow. <laughs> to get big. And then I finally decided to cut down. Um, so it was a really good post the way he articulated it. But, um, do you just, you just doing that with Eric pretty much just so like, you ask him, him to just take over the adjustments. Like you just need somebody to tell you to do it. 
he, I mean, he came in and he prescribed everything, but it, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, Hey, I'm going to dramatically change this because yeah. I was already tracking macros. I was already training in the gym. I was already hitting a good amount of volume. He just has a different style of, of program design. He has okay. a different style of doing adjustments and, and really it's, it's having that external feedback of somebody who's like completely unbiased yeah. and science based that can say like, this is what we need to do as things go on. Cause I can take my emotion out of it and I don't have to think about shit. That's I what just, I'm saying. Yeah. Just having a third party do it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's just so much more beneficial to have somebody else do it for you. But, um, no, but I think like in, in situations like this with the fat, like if you're at maintenance or above, I don't think you need to stick to that 20% hard. I think you need uh 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. Um, and I think that's also off of your maintenance body weight. So let's say at your leanest, like, so for me at my, like real, my leanest, leanest, like if I get completely peeled and shredded, I'm like 158. Um, if I push, I think Eric like mentioned pushing to like 185 of weight and I'm 174. So I'm like, fuck, that's fucking heavy, dude. Mm-hmm. But that's a big range, right? So I don't need to base that calculation off of 185, which would be my max weight. I would put base that off of my like maintenance load, which is probably going to be between that shredded physique and that ultimate bulk, right? Right in between, which is probably going to be around 170. Right? Yeah. It's right in the middle. Um, so base it off that number. And then again, if you're at maintenance or surplus, don't stress about it too much. The only time I see benefits in increasing fats and literally if I'm working with a client and we're trying to build muscle, I have them at the minimum amount of fat needed. The only times I adjust fats up is if I keep increasing carbs and the diet just isn't as easy to adhere to or enjoyable because fats are so low. So if you're eating 500 grams of carbs a day and you're eating 50 grams of fat, a lot of your fat is coming from some of those carb sources, which means that you don't get the pleasure of having peanut butter or a whole egg and stuff like that. So sometimes I'll raise the fats just because it just needs to be more tolerable for the Mm -hmm. person. Um, And there's other people who can just handle it like uh, Brad Jensen. We fucking, we took him and dieted him down for a photo shoot. And then I reverse dieted him so well that he's like consuming more food than he ever has. And he literally, he texted me complaining. He was like, dude, like, can we eat less? And I was like, stop being a puss. Like, come on, dude, eat. Like, I had to give him ideas. I was like, when was the last time you had pasta? How are you cooking your rice? How are you doing your potatoes? He's gonna laugh when he hears this. But we talked about it. He's like, all right, I'm in it. Let's do it. And he started eating again. But for him, I have him eating like 100 grams of fat. He does not need 100 grams of fat. But he can handle it and he's mm-hmm. staying lean and he's gaining size slowly. So it's like, why not? It's more enjoyable for him to have 100 grams fat than it is for him to have 65, which would be his like minimum. Yeah. So I think it really depends. But I don't think you have to go off that percentage as like a hard number. And I don't think you should go off any. Like a lot of people say like protein needs to be at least 30% of your diet. Well, that's all relative on the person, the individual's body weight, the individual's goals, the individual's preferences, and the individual's total caloric intake. I don't even know. I think mine's probably about 30%. But as I increase calories, that percentage is going to lower yeah. because I don't need more protein necessarily. I'm getting more than enough. Don't go off percentages. That's like the hardest macro for me to hit is protein. I always eat too much. Oh. Like <laughs> to the point where it's like you might as well be eating carbs with this, these extra calories. Because I, I could eat 250 grams of protein easily. Yeah. That's like uh, completely unnecessary. All right. Cool. I think I answered that one good. Uh, let's see here. Next question is from Brian Matney. Oh, speaking of, speak of the devil, is your new is your new coach Eric Trexler doing both your training and nutrition? And I was curious if he's done anything different yet than what 
you would have done yourself or anything that maybe surprised you a little or different from what you have expected? Yes, he is doing my training and nutrition. No, he's not doing anything, and I'll dive into the what's and why's. No, he hasn't done anything unexpected. Um, and no, he didn't do much different than much. than than what I do. So start with training. Um, when he when he came on board, I showed him exactly what I was doing and where the periodization had gone from like the last like six weeks and then what my plan for the next six weeks was so he could have an idea. And program looked good, volume looked good. Like the difference he made was lowering frequency. Yeah which I actually really enjoyed. So I was doing a upper, lower six day rotation. So upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, which is like, I mean, you're hitting your upper body three times a week. He changed it to a push pull legs. So now I'm doing all my pushing on one day, which is chest, shoulders, triceps, and then my pulling, which is back and biceps and then legs. And then I repeat. That means that I'm only hitting shoulders twice a week versus doing it three times a week. Like I was before, um, volume, is not any different than it was. Mm -hmm. So I'm hitting the same amount of volume. I'm just distributing it differently. Um, I, I go back and forth on what I like better between an upper lower and a push pull. Sometimes I feel better and this is completely individual. Sometimes I feel better. My shoulders are really what feel better on a upper lower six day rotation because when I can do a push and then a pull, it's just easier on my shoulder joint and my elbows and things like that. And I always worry that doing too much pressing in a single workout is just going to bang up my elbows and shoulders. But I've actually been feeling really, really good. I haven't had any shoulder pain, no elbow pain. The thing I do like about a push-pull legs is that when you just sit there and focus on chest and then shoulders and triceps, you just get a really nasty pump and just burn in that single muscle. And it's kind of fun to just sit there and just focus. As like a bodybuilder kind of guy, that's really fun for me. Um, and then also I'm only hitting legs twice a week instead of three, which is nice because hitting legs three times a week is brutal. Yeah. Um, but each of those leg session has a little bit more volume than my three did because the three sessions were spread out across the week. This is two sessions. So you do more per session. There you go. So there's like pluses and minuses of everything. And I don't think like there's no study to show that an upper lower is better than a push pull legs. I think he just probably when he's doing his program design, he probably, uh, is better at manipulating a program on a push-pull leg split. He might have more experience with push-pull leg split. He might have had more clients that had success with that amount of frequency, so he put me on that. Um, I've done push-pull leg splits. I've programmed for people doing that. So it wasn't a dramatic change. It was just a slight difference in organization of that total volume mm -hmm. um, for training. Uh, I was doing no cardio and, uh, I'm still doing no cardio. I was doing a day or two of conditioning, but then when I bumped my training up to six days a week, I had to take a conditioning day out because then it'd just be just overkill too much work and I'm trying to build. So it's like lifting is more important. So I'm just doing walks and stuff. So that didn't change. Um, No difference on ab work. We have the same philosophy there too where it's like – it's basically like at the end of your leg day, pick a couple exercises that to your abs and just do a couple sets. It's not like mandatory but it's helpful. I'm doing it because abs are always a weak point for me. Like when I get super lean, they don't pop so I'm trying to build. And so for me, it's like uh, basically like a, a sit-up or a hanging leg raise or an anti-rotation. I just throw it in at the end. Yep. Um, but yeah, not a, not a ton to change. Now the difference is going to be having somebody else uh, watch 
my progression is going to hold me more accountable of actually progressing. And I think that's going to be the big, biggest difference is I'm going to see more gains because I know somebody's waiting to see if I lift more this week, to see if I pushed harder. He's making sure so that I, I do this in some of my clients programming. I think it's more of an advanced strategy, but progress by RIR. So reps and reserve. So oh, yeah. week one reps and reserve was like three. So everything I did, I left three in the tank. Week two, there's like some twos in there. So I'm leaving three in tank and then some sets I'm leaving two. Week three and four, it peaks up until like, let's say the, the last week of a program, you're leaving zero reps in the tank. So you're basically going all out on everything and yeah. then you pull back and then it's like an automatic deload. Um, so that's a good way. But having somebody watch and hold me accountable of, of gauging that is really helpful. So I think that's the biggest difference there. Now with nutrition. I got a question before you go on. Yeah. Before you start nutrition is, uh, this might be completely wrong, but what is the difference between um, RIR and RPE? Basically nothing. Okay. It's, it's like the inverted relationship. Exactly. So, okay. so like um, an RPE of eight is the same as an RIR of two. That's what I thought. Okay. So RPE, rate of perceived exertion, was actually designed in the endurance world, and it was a way of gauging your runs, like okay. your, your effort in a run. Because if, if you're going to last in this run for an hour-long run, you need to be at a certain RPE because if your RPE is too high, you'll burn out before that hour's up or before you hit your distance. So that was for the endurance world. And then the weightlifters kind of adopted it to try to adopt it for lifting. Yeah. And then, Same concept. Yep. And then somebody else in the lifting community created RIR oh, as okay. a way to do it. Now, most bodybuilders have used RIR because I think it's more applicable. Yep. Um, Makes sense. I use, I use both in my programming. Um, I have a lot of programs in the Taylor Trainer that already what, have RPE. What makes you decide to use one or the other? Advanced or not? RPE I learned first. And it was just, this is the system. Yep. Like, and I just did it. I'm using RIR net more now because it's becoming more and more popular. And over the last like, year or two, it's just been, it, it seems easier to understand. Gotcha. So it's actually something that I'll be changing inside of a lot of the programs in the Taylor Trainer going forward is yeah. like using RIR instead. Because it just makes sense. How many, yep. reps, how many reps do you leave in the tank? Instead of subtracting from 10, yep. even what about a set of six? Yeah. Well, it's still the same theory and RPE works, but... I like, I like RIR. It's easier. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's the difference there. And then, uh, and, and if you progress, if you periodize your program based on RIR, so every week you're like, basically like week one, you leave three in the tank. Week two, you leave two in the tank. Week uh, three, you leave one in the tank. Week four, you go to failure, leave zero in the tank. You're adding load every week. Gotcha. You're increasing intensity every week. So just like that that infographic you just made me that we haven't posted yet, where volume goes down, yeah. intensity goes up. Your intensity is going up. Volume might go down because as you leave less reps in the tank, you might be able to accomplish less reps because you're doing heavier loads. For sure. And then you rinse and repeat. Hmm. Um, so it kind of auto regulates that system. Um, nutrition. Yeah. Didn't change much either. It's kind of hard though too. Like you take a client on like me, it's like. Okay, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm eating. Well, I was eating 320 grams of carbs, 50 grams of fat, 200 grams of protein. Um, actually, I said between 300 to 325 because I was like bouncing around quite a bit. I wasn't staying super consistent with that. And here's my supplements. I eat five meals a day. Each meal has protein. I time my nutrients for working out like this. Like is 90% clean food. It's kind of like, what do you change? Yeah. He increased my fat by five grams, so to 55. To 65? Nope, 50 to 55. Oh, I thought you said you were um, just having 65. Nope, that was talking about Brad. Oh, yeah. Um, even though he's consuming 100, but uh, fucker. Um, and then he put my carbs at 320, and then he dropped my protein down to 185. Gotcha. So basically gave me a little bit more calories from carbs and protein, fat and dropped my protein a little bit, which is common. And 
that's probably where I would have went anyway. But like after a photo shoot, my protein was higher and my carbs were lower and I've slowly been transitioning, but I hired Eric as that process is going. So I was sitting at maintenance and then now he kind of put me into a small surplus probably. Um, and I'm sure the carbs will continue to go up to be honest with you, but not a whole lot changed there. Like very, very subtle changes there. And, and we had a discussion of the same thing I tell people is like the, the magic is in the adjustments. Yeah. So as we go and I'm going to see how your body responds to the amount of volume we're doing, how your body responds to the progressions in the gym, how your physique looks as you're taking progress pictures, I will adjust and things will change over time for sure. And that's it. And, and it's helpful to have somebody take over the periodization. Cause for me, I'm like, Hey, like what's the end goal? The end goal is for me to do a photo shoot in like a year. Yeah. So like, I literally want to, I did my last photo shoot and I, I want to do, uh, the same exact poses I did for the flexing shots. It'll be in this, this gym, obviously yeah, at the claw at the claw. Yeah. And, uh, but I want it to be a year to a year and a half later. So I have, up to a year to bulk and then half a year, let's say six months to cut Yeah, three to six months to cut just improve my physique essentially. So I want to be bigger. So I want to do the photo shoot at a heavier weight than last time, but I want to be leaner. Gotcha. And, and to do that, it's time. So for him to t take over and be like, okay, this is how long it's going to take. This is how things are going to transition and phase throughout the process. It's just helpful. Cause that's what I do for people. You know, they come yeah. in and I'm like, Hey, this is how long it's going to take. We're going to start you here. We're going to phase you to this part of the diet and we're going to transition this way. We're going to periodize it this way. We might pull back every once in a while because of this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's really cool to have somebody come in and just take it over and do it. Yeah. Even though the, you could totally do it yourself, you're going to make different changes than what somebody else is by what you feel, even though you could probably get yourself to that result for that photo shoot correctly, mm -hmm. but someone else making, it, it's just the way the brain works. It's just better. Yeah. yeah. Your emotion is yeah. in it. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. And I think in my specific scenario, I think the biggest problem is not the cut at the end because I can take myself through a cut pretty easily. Put yourself on deficit, give yourself a refeed every once in a while and you're, you know what I mean? Like I, I know that like the back of my hand, the bulking is the hard part. Yeah. Normally I would get to like 174, like I am now 175 and be like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm getting fat. Yeah. I got to cut. Let me do a mini cut. And somebody like him might step and go, dude, you're fine. Yeah. Stop. Like you're not even close to too fat yet. Keep Give, going. Giving yourself that mini cut like you would do if you were doing it, would that delay progress or hinder results? Yeah. yeah. Because basically, so like I'm, I'm growing, growing, growing. Oh shit. Let me put myself in the deficit. That's, I stop growing, yeah. lose a little bit and then try to go back. And I'm like. Basically, I'm like taking some steps forward, leaping back, taking steps forward. When I could have just kept pushing it, cutting fat's easier than building muscle. So in the process of getting bigger, especially for me, like I've been lifting for so long, I'm at a point where I'm, I'm 27, I'm going to be 28, and I, I really don't have that many years left of being able to put on a serious amount of size. I would say once you if, – really? if, you're, if you're an advanced lifter, yeah. So for somebody like you – you're, you're 30, right? You yeah. just turned 30 and you don't have a ton of experience in the gym. You're experienced enough to do things right and to, to like make progress. But I have nine years of training, mm -hmm. right? For you, even though you're 30, you're still considered a, like a newbie intermediate and you have plenty of, you could build a lot of muscle, but me at 30, I won't even build a fraction of the amount of muscle that you have because I've already built so much of my genetic ability mm -hmm. and potential so, and as we age, that lowers because as you age, testosterone lowers, uh, lifestyle factors decrease, increase. Um, 
so for me, it's like, man, this is like my last chance to like really push the gains as mm. much as I can. And I'm still going to try because you can still squeeze out gains at 40 even. I was going to say like late 30s. Absolutely. Okay, okay. It's just the more advanced you get, the less you can improve from a muscular perspective. It's just, it's just harder. I mean, yeah. like you only have so much that your body will naturally do Change. without steroids. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, it's just, that's just being a human being. Yeah. But that's why somebody like Julian probably did his bulking at a young age and now he's like, I'm just going to stay lean because yeah. I like the way I look and I can focus on other things. And it's like, so for me, I'm like, this is my chance to just like let somebody else come in and, and not psych myself out when I start putting on a little bit of fat because realistically, I can still see the outline of my abs in the morning. I still have like a four pack. I'm not like a shredded six pack. I'm leaner than the average American. So for <laughs> Definitely. me, for, but, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. For me, there's really like logically speaking, there's no reason to get in my own head. Yeah. Like, I'm totally fine. Yeah. But it's your own expectations too. It's your own expectations. It's your yeah. own mindset yeah. and your own insecurities from like from me being overweight when I was a kid and yeah. stuff like that. Like that that kind of gets to me. But but again, that's why having an I have so I have actually it's really cool. I have probably have like ten different women right now that are in a gaining phase. And the amount of times I talk them off the ledge is insane. But I get it. And that's yeah. why I'm able to do that. Cause I'm like, hey, I'm in the same position. I get it. Trust me, this is going well, this is going well, you're doing this. And sometimes they're like, I feel so fluffy, I feel so blah, like shit like that. And I look at the picture, I'm like, you look fucking great. Yeah. And you look lean. Like I've had multiple people, I'm like, you look a little bit leaner because you're building muscle. Like you see a number on the scale and it immediately changes what you see in the mirror. Yeah. But it has nothing to do with what I see. And I'm in a completely unbiased opinion. And trust me when I say, as a coach, if my client is getting fat, I'm going to help them not do that. Yeah. So I'm not going to continue to push the gains if it's not going well. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's just a hard thing to do on your own. True. It's good that you got him, Eric. Yeah. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, Head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.